0: You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week, now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry.
1: Welcome to Soft Idolatry. This is episode nine. This is the second in our series on 1st and 2nd Timothy. So Carissa, what are you reading this week?
0: I'm reading the same things I was reading last week. I haven't made a ton of progress on those. How about you?
1: Wow, me neither. (laughs) No, (laughs) it's almost like we're busy or something. It's almost like we're busy or something. I've made a lot of progress on Searching for Sunday, but I am far from done with Searching for Sunday. What about your sermon title? What was your sermon called this week?
0: Yes, Even Them. How about yours? Ooh,
1: good title. I'm gonna leave that as a mystery
0: oh you mostly stole my sermon we're... title from last ah. week <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes mostly because we're recording on wednesday and i haven't actually preached it yet so um i am still undecided
0: all right yeah uh listeners bear with us as we're still trying to get used to the idea that we record on wednesday or thursday and the podcast releases on monday so we're actually talking about our sermons before they've been preached So sometimes it gets a little weird for us.
1: Yes, and often before they've even been written. But I I often go with the theory of uh, start with a great title and the sermon will sort itself out.
0: I hate that theory. I hate (laughs) sermon titles in general, and I often leave it untitled. Because without a doubt, anytime I title my sermon ahead of time, something changes either there's something dramatic in the world that happens or the scripture goes somewhere completely differently than i expected it to the holy spirit just takes it in a whole other direction so i often just give up on sermon titles or i go very very vague with them
1: couldn't you just go back and change your title after that
0: not once the bulletin's printed Okay. I have told people before to cross off what's in their bulletin and write in something new. <laughs> so.
1: Yeah, I've, I've done that too.
0: Yeah. Um, this week, the passage that we're looking at from First Timothy talks about prayer, and I don't know about you, but I find it hard to preach about prayer. It feels like it's something that we talk about all the time at church, and people feel like they know how to do. And there's like eighty thousand books out there on prayer, like at the checkout at the pharmacy, and. Do you find that difficult? I don't know.
1: I, I, am not sure that everybody really does know how to pray. Um, I think it's a generational thing and it depends on how much time you spent in church in your formative years. I've encountered lots of people who have no idea what to do in what might be described as prayer times. So there's a lot of, um. I've had a lot of conversations around what is prayer.
0: But what about preaching on it? You completely ducked my question. (laughs) (laughs) What about
1: preaching on it? Uh, I know I've preached on it once or twice before. I will often preach about the need to pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate our understanding of things, to make things clear to us. But... um, Oh, no, I don't think I've preached much on prayer as the central theme of the sermon. Interesting. I preach, yeah, I preach a lot on relationship, and I do think that prayer is part of our relationship with God. And now I feel like we are fading, that, that, that we are drifting into an ordination exam question on the <laughs> theology of prayer. Yeah. <laughs> But hey, we both passed that one our first time around.
0: Yes, we did. Not to toot our own horns or anything. Uh, So, you know, I can't remember which homiletics professor it was. Talked about how every preacher has like three sermons. A good preacher might have five. And all your sermons are just different iterations of that same thing. And one of mine is prayer is great. Prayer should change you. If it doesn't change you, it's empty prayer.
1: Hmm. Or something
0: along those lines. And that is... Probably where where things are going to go for me this coming week as we dig into this passage a little bit more. It's going to be that, that one of my three or four sermons.
1: I think you might be paraphrasing Eugene Peterson there.
0: There are worse people to paraphrase.
1: Without a doubt, but I don't <laughs> think that was one of our homiletics professors.
0: It might have been one of our professors quoting Eugene Peterson. Hmm. So what is your supporting text this week.
1: I am go. I am going with the passage from the Gospel of Luke in the lectionary, also known as the parable of the dishonest manager. What about you?
0: I am also using that passage, which I like to call the parable nobody understands.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I send a- an email to my Sunday school teachers every week telling them which, uh, which texts we're looking at in worship and giving them suggestions about which ones they might want to teach into in Sunday school. And I just said, hey, this is one of those toughest parables to understand, and you might want to just stick with the reading from 1 Timothy.
0: And when you're choosing the passage from 1 Timothy, that says an awful lot about the gospel passage, because 1 Timothy has so many problems, and we're going to talk about some of those today. Yes. Yeah, so why don't we... We keep talking we over each other. <laughs> we keep we talking do. over each other today. Now you're doing it on purpose.
1: <laughs> no, I'm not.
0: All right. Which one do you want to read? The Gospel or 1 Timothy? I'll read the Gospel. All right. Go for it.
1: Jesus also said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager. And charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called him and said to him, What is this that I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management, or you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, What shall I do, since my master is taking the management away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do, so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. So... Summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, How much do you owe my master? He said, A hundred measures of oil. He said to him, Take your bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and write eighty. The master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it falls, when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If, then, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust you to the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money.
0: And the passage from First Timothy comes from the second chapter, verses 1 through 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life godly and dignified in every way this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of god our savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth for there is one god and there is one mediator between god and men the man jesus christ who gave himself as a ransom for all which is the testimony given at the proper time for this i was appointed a preacher and an apostle I am telling the truth. I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Amen. Amen. It's the word of God, as strange <laughs> as it is. Um, yeah. The, my notes here actually say WTF is actually happening in this gospel passage. <laughs> uh-huh. if, you read, so what? if you read five if you read five commentaries on this passage, this gospel passage, you're going to get eight interpretations.
1: Yeah, pretty much. So what what are your takeaways from the gospel passage?
0: I've heard a couple of different things this week and read a couple of different things as I've been reading and listening to others pulling this apart and I do not believe that Jesus is condoning dishonesty or shrewdness. He's not saying it's okay to be a shady businessman. Um, I think that the main takeaway is that very last line, you cannot serve God and money, because in this whole passage, absolutely everyone is corrupted by the money. The boss who has fired this guy is interested in the fact that this guy has managed to recoup at least some of the money. This guy is desperate to keep his job, and so he goes and does some shady dealings just to keep his job. And the people who he is um, shaking down for the money are perfectly happy to pay part of the debt to him instead of the whole debt to the person they actually owe it to.
1: Yeah, and you know, when when I thinking about this now, it, it's we've got a whole industry called debt collection. And what they do is they buy bad debts from companies for, for, for pennies on the dollar and squeeze every penny they can out of the person who owes the debt in the first place. So if I default on my car loan, then uh, somebody makes a deal with my bank and says, I will pay you 20 cents on the dollar for Alan's car loan. And they will work to squeeze out as much as they can from me between $0.20 and $1 on the dollar. And they make a living that way. The bank gets some money that way. And instead of them just turning me down for a loan that I couldn't afford in the first place, I have to continue to bleed money. And yes, I shouldn't have taken on the car loan, and maybe I should have known better. But everything about that is just... Shady. There is a lot of potential there for abuse. Let's put it that way. It's not. It's not a hundred percent shady, but it is. It has a potential for abuse of one hundred percent. And I don't think the connotations of shrewd in the ancient world are quite the same as what we have. Um, I think we. We don't hear it as a negative or a pejorative, but clearly it is a pejorative here in the Gospel of Luke. And I think some of the clues to that are um, the the verse 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Now, they didn't have fonts when this was written down, but I'm thinking that if they did, this should be written in the sarcasm font. Because obviously, Jesus is the only one who has the means for receiving us into eternal dwellings.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think that the main takeaway on this is corruption and uh, money corruption. And and that is a really strong connection then to this passage from 1 Timothy. Tell this, me more about that. So this passage from 1 Timothy is not without its baggage. It is one of actually the least baggage-ridden passages. And we'll get to the, the following verses in a few minutes here. But this passage here has been used sometimes to justify um, unhealthy nationalistic thinking in the these are the people in charge you must pray for them and love them and they're wonderful but in this letter the author is actually writing about some really awful corrupt people mm-hmm. um, they're saying pray for them so that we can find peace and quiet pray for them so that we can have um, godliness so that we can find dignity Again, pray for these corrupt people who are doing these terrible things to us and to others. And so there's this element of corruption all through it. It's not saying uh, that you must uh, sit down and shut up and all hail the chief at all cost. It is saying, pray for them so that they can learn to do the right thing and treat all with God's justice.
1: Hail Caesar.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So... So this this is a passage that has had like an interesting history of being used as a clobber text, but not quite as much as the next one, because as we move on to verse eight, it goes off the rails pretty fast.
1: Would you like me to do the honors? Yes, the dishonors,
0: please, please do, because I don't know that I can uh, I can read it without audibly rolling my eyes.
1: Okay, I can just watch you roll your eyes on Skype. (laughs) I desire, then, that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or argument. Also, that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. I can almost hear the eye roll across the internet.
0: I can't even with this guy. This is a place where it is so important to remember we have half of the conversation. So this is probably half of a debate that is happening between the letter writer and uh, the recipients of the letter. It's sort of like if you took an angry Facebook thread and only read one person's comments on it you're going to get a very one-sided view of whatever's happening because you don't write letters to to each other about things like this if there's not some sort of disagreement on this um and and
1: i i think this is also one of those reasons why it's worth noting that we really don't think Paul wrote all of this letter, or perhaps any of this letter. Paul seems to be very inclusive in lots of other places. He frequently names women who are leaders in congregations. Yet here, the letter writer says women should be silent.
0: Yeah. I, I am ironically, like, just speechless at this moment. <laughs> um, right. And the lectionary leaves this out. It stops before this starts. And so many of you may not have heard this passage read in church on Sunday because, quite frankly, a lot of us are very busy people, uh, us being clergy, and uh, we do not have the time to do this justice in a sermon on Sunday. And I know you have a, had a baptism this week, Alan, and what a terrible passage for a baptism. Yes,
1: yes. I, there was just no way I was adding the extra verses in on a baptismal Sunday. I do plan to talk about it, or, or wait, the, this, we, we're pretending that this is occurring after Sunday. Uh, yeah. So I talked about it in adult Sunday school, and we had a lively discussion, but Sunday school was the only place that I could do that because this was gonna take a 20-minute sermon to deal with all of that, and with the baptism, I just didn't have the 20 minutes to do that.
0: Yeah, and we, you and I actually had a lively conversation this week about how you were going to handle that in Sunday school.
1: Yes, and I am not going to handle it that way because the person I wanted to use for the stunt is going to be out of
0: town. Ah, Do you care to share what the stunt was? Because I would love to share with the listeners the conversation that we had about that because I think it's an important... I don't think either one of us was right or wrong, but it was a good discussion that is important to be having.
1: So I was going to ask one of my members who is in her 70s, and it is a very well-read, smart woman who had a professional career speaking up, doing all sorts of smart things, and I was going to ask her to read that part, and then I was going to cut her off when it said women should be silent and say, hey, wait, wait a second. If, If you're supposed to be silent, why are you reading this? And I was going to encourage her to... Push back and um, throw things at me, or what have you, for comic effect. And obviously, that plan went out the window once I learned that she was going to visit her daughter in the South. So,
0: yeah, and, and I don't
1: mean South Jersey.
0: <laughs> and and my hesitation and caution on that was that uh, this is such a painful discussion for many women, especially those of us who are in male-dominated professions or uh, who are in leadership positions, that we spend like so much of our time being cut off and interrupted and ignored by men when we're speaking. And men, come on, don't send us hate mail about me saying this. Um, This is a thing that happens. I'm not saying you all do it, but it happens on a daily basis uh, to most women that I know. Um, and so my caution with that was that we want to be careful not to turn something like that into a bit when it is a real wound for, for many of us.
1: Yes. I figured that they might have a laugh at my expense during all of that discussion. We'll, we will still have the discussion just without the shtick.
0: Yeah. I mean, we all love a good laugh at your expense. So indeed, that would have been, <laughs> that would have been fair. Uh, but yeah, that's. I mean, there's so many reasons that this particular passage we have to approach with so much caution. And I will probably i I will probably not address it at all this week. <laughs> we're yeah. we're studying Luke in, in Bible study, and so it it's just going to be not there this week.
1: It, it's you know from from hmm, that's going to make good copy. Uh, where are we on the outline? Uh, B sub three ish ish. So, yeah, I, I mean, this is just hard to preach because you can't preach on it in a succinct way unless you just say don't do that. But we do have to address it because this is one of those texts that if we don't walk through it carefully and respectfully with our members, it just sits out there waiting to be weaponized. And I think this is an example of where our own idolatries corrupt our interpretations and our practice of living the scriptures.
0: Right, this is a passage that is often used to justify terrible behavior toward women. Uh, it's a passage that is used when people are trying to defend a rapist or uh, even just a creepy person. They'll say, well, she shouldn't have been dressed like that. And look at this scripture passage that says women are to dress modestly. And so we kind of take our own uh, idolatries and force force them into scripture. And this is one of those passages.
1: Right. And uh, there again, um, because this is likely not Paul, we could be looking at a conflict within the church where somebody wants to mute or bracket the radical inclusiveness in other parts of Paul's letters, to say nothing of the radical inclusiveness of Jesus. And so we take our our views on social issues, our views on politics or what have you, and then we project them backwards onto our religious understandings, our interpretations of how these texts help us understand life and our relationship with God. And then we turn them into weapons to make other people practice the same
0: way that we do. And in that way, these two pieces of this passage, so verses one through seven about praying for, for leaders and then uh, following, those are both suffering from the same sort of problem when they're being misinterpreted and it's interesting to think about if we look at the luke passage and it's about the corruption of money and we look at the first timothy passage that's in the lectionary this one through seven it's about the corruption of power and there are people who are are corrupt that are using their power poorly And then you move on and there's kind of this corruption in the church that's causing this big gender divide. So if we bring that then back around to the focus on what is the actual lectionary passage from First Timothy today, but in the context, the greater context of the gospel passage and the the things that come after it in First Timothy, uh, we see the author talking about praying for everyone not just those who are nice to us but for everyone even the ones that are corrupt and using their power against us
1: yeah this is this is just basic christian practice love your neighbor love your enemies bless those who curse you i'm pretty sure jesus said all of those things am am i right on that carissa
0: yes i'm pretty sure you're right on that
1: (laughs) okay good good. I'm glad we're both pretty sure about that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, this is one of the, the foundations of agape love, that we love God and we love neighbor. And we love neighbor because everyone is a beloved child of God. And to love your neighbor is to love God. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean that we want to do it. But that does mean that we have to do it. And Uh, particularly because we are in the gospel of Luke, everyone is our neighbor, period. Uh, I could start proof texting that, but I think uh, if you're familiar with the story of the merciful Samaritan, sometimes misnamed the good Samaritan, uh, that's an example of everyone is my neighbor.
0: Yeah, and that brings us to our practice this week, which is prayer and that's where we started actually this episode was talking about prayer but this is a very specific prayer that i want you to be thinking about this week i want you to think of someone you can't stand it might be someone in the government. It might be liberals if you're conservative. It might be conservatives if you're liberal. It might be your podcast co-host or another co-worker that annoys the daylights out of you. And I want you to pray every day for that person or that group of people. And if it's possible, if it's a specific person, ask them if there's anything that you might be able to pray about for them, that's going to be a difficult conversation if they're truly irritating you, but a very important conversation as well. And I will put in the show notes a link to an article I found this week on guideposts that's about praying for those who irritate us. And I have this uh, this quote from John Chrysostom, or Chrysostom, Chrysostom, however you want to say it. You, I'm sure you're jumping at a, a bit there.
1: From John Chrysostom
0: sure yeah whatever nobody nobody can say
1: you you didn't get my fletch reference fair enough i
0: didn't so sorry um anyway this this quote is great it says um no one can feel hatred toward those for whom he prays the point of this practice is that prayer changes us it changes our hearts it changes our attitudes it diminishes the hate and the anger that we have for someone and helps us build empathy and compassion
1: Yeah, you know, the basic things that are happening when we pray. By praying to God, we admit that we need God. We admit that God is in the center of our lives and that we need to acknowledge our shortcomings and ask for guidance. While we do not always or often get uh, big loud answers or bright flashes of light telling us what God wants from us, when we cultivate that space of prayer, we learn better to be attentive to the movement of the Holy Spirit. And also in discerning God's call, we have conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and they can help us to work toward hearing God's call, whether it's the uh, road to Damascus conversion of Paul, or whether it's the still small voice. This is not just a practice that we do on our own.
0: Yeah, and you might just find when you ask someone how you can pray for them, you might just find out why they're so irritating. Yes. They may have something going on in their lives that has stressed them out, and... Uh, made them unable to interact in healthier ways with you
1: or the fact that you would offer something as grace-filled as prayer for someone else may change their interactions with you so there's a lot going on there and you just don't know where it's going to lead
0: they might yell at you
1: They might, they might, Uh, and that's on them if they do.
0: Right, shame on them. Alan, would you pray, and I will close us with a blessing, because it looks like we're at the end of our content for today. So if you could pray, I'll, I'll bless our folks, and we'll move on our way.
1: Absolutely. Let us pray. God of grace and mercy, I thank you for relationships. I thank you for the wonderful people who have graced my life as well as the opportunities that I am constantly given to practice mercy, grace, and love. God, I thank you for the relationships with people who annoy the life out of me. I ask that you fill me with your Holy Spirit when I deal with people who annoy me. I ask that you make me mindful that every person is your beloved child, and how I treat each and every one of them is how I treat you. I ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
0: And sisters and brothers, may God, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body. May God encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.
1: Goodbye for now. And remember, if you have any questions for us, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com or you can find us on Facebook. And if you would like to provide some financial support for this podcast, you can find a link on our show notes to our account at Patreon. For more information, please go to www.softidolatry.com.